Well, good morning again. My name is Philip Patterson. There are a couple of new folks here today. I just want to say thank you for being here, and I do want to introduce myself. I'm Philip, and one of, one of the pastors here, and uh, I get the, the great privilege of being able to uh, just take us into our next installment in our vision series. Um, we've been walking uh, for, for a lot of months now through the Gospel of John. Uh, we were walking verse by verse, section by section through the Gospel of John, and we decided it was, it was time for us to take just a short break from that. About six weeks, we're gonna, we just stepped away from our study through John, and we are looking uh, at who we believe God has called us to be as a church, what we are to value, what we are to do, what we are to be. And so that's what we're doing. We've covered a lot of ground so far. This is week three. Um, this is what it boils down to. We believe that God has called us to be a community of faith that exists to inspire people to follow Jesus through loving relationships, okay? That's our mission statement as a church. Um, uh, and by the way, we said week one. I'll just keep mentioning this to you each, each of these six weeks. Uh, we have a little canvas here. Where we, 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 uh, we wrote our mission statement here. If sometime within these six weeks, um, you know, upon prayerful consideration, lots of thought, if you decide, okay, you know, I think the Lord is leading me to say, yes, I am in. I want to be an active member of a community that inspires people to follow Jesus through loving relationships. Just as a kind of a symbol of that commitment, you are invited to just come and grab one of those Sharpies and just sign your name. Just say, yes, I'm in. I'm going to be, I'm gonna be a, uh, an active member of that. So anytime before or after the service in these six weeks, you're welcome to do that. Um, the back to it. We exist to inspire people to follow Jesus through loving relationships. And the way we believe that that can happen, that mission can be accomplished, is by every person experiencing the four L's, what we call them, the four L's. Liberate, love, link, and launch. All right? And so it all starts with liberate. We, it, we are liberated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as a result of our liberation in Christ, we are compelled to love God, link in community, and be launched into the world uh, with the love and message of Jesus. Okay? That's, that's it. Liberate, love, link, and launch. And what we're doing is uh, we are, we are uh, breaking each of those L's down one week at a time. And so last week we started with the first L. We started with liberate. And basically what we said is uh, that the gospel is the foundation of who we are as a church. Okay, we're liberated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's the foundation of who we are. Remember, I, I don't remember if it was Peter or Paul who said it, but he said, once you had not received mercy, now you've received mercy. Once you were not a people, now you are a people. Okay? It, it's the foundation of who we are. It's what unites us as a people, as a community. All right? But it's not only the foundation of who we are, it's the driving force behind what we do. And we, say, we, we say often, it's not just the starting line, but it's the fuel that makes us go as a church, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we are, we are liberated, um, is what we said. Um, we said that the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ not only sets us free from, but it also sets us free to. It not only sets us free from the power of sin, from the wages of sin, but it also sets us free to love God, link together, and, and be launched into the world as his hands and feet. That was last week. If you missed the first couple of weeks, uh, I would encourage you uh, to, to jump on our website and go to our podcast and catch up. But... Today we tackle our second L. As a church, this is a doozy. As a church, we love God. Okay? Uh, As a church, we love God. Basically, we worship. Okay? Um, as, As David said, we ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Um... I'm going to use some of those, those words and phrases, by the way, interchangeably uh, this morning. So don't be surprised when I do that. We, we love God. We worship God. We glorify God. 
Um, I know there's some slight nuances to what those words mean, but I think they go hand in hand. So just giving you some forewarning there. But one of the primary ways that we encourage lives of worship is right here in our Sunday gatherings. It's right here. It's exactly what we're doing. Um, That's why we call them our worship gatherings, okay? Um, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 really inspires us towards this. This is one of our core uh, verses as a church. It says, uh, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, so the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect gathering together. Man, we live in a really busy society. Um, San Jose, I mean, it, we're, we're constantly um, competing with all kinds of things. We're, there's all kinds of events and activities that are competing for our attention and our, uh, and our time. Uh, but, but the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect gathering with other believers. The Bible says we are to make these a priority because it's, it's in these uh, environments when we are uh, stirred up to love and good deeds. Uh, I love that the writer, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but the writer of Hebrews says, consider how to do that. Consider how to stir one another up towards love and good deeds. He's like basically saying, come up with ways to stir one another up. You know, get creative. Well, you know, some of the ways that we do that here is, if you've been here any length of time, you'll know we, we sing songs. We sing songs uh, not just with catchy melodies, but with truth. Songs that are infused with truth from the word of God. We, we sing praises to the Lord. We, we come together, we study the scriptures. That's one of the ways we do it. You know, we live in a, a world that is filled with uh, deception and temptation, and we come together regularly every week, and we, we fix our eyes together on the truth that is found in the Word of God. We encourage one another in, in truth. We, we pray for one another. We build loving relationships, and all of this is for the purpose of spurring one another on towards the love of God. That's why our time together here on Sunday mornings is so important. We don't neglect these times. Um, now, I, I'm, I'm not just saying that, you know, um, you know, I know what it sounds like. The pastor's telling me to come to church on Sundays. I, I get it. I know what it sounds like. But, but if, if we read uh, what, what the writer of Hebrews says, he's saying this is for our joy. This is for the glory of God. These things are important. So we don't just come here because this is what we do on Sundays. Uh, or we don't just come here out of tradition or obligation or out of a sense of legalism. We come here for our joy and we come here for the glory of God. Amen? Anybody? All right. So we don't neglect meeting together because God says that it's, it's, it's here that we are spurred on to lives of worship. All that being said, let's talk a bit today about worship. What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to ascribe the glory to God that is due his name? Well, worship in its most basic uh, definition is this. Basically, it means to declare ultimate worth, to, de- to declare the worth-ship that something is worth something. It has ultimate worth. We said last week that every one of us are worshipers by nature. That's how we're wired. Every one of us place ultimate value in someone or something. I don't care if this is your first time here, you're a worshiper. All right? It's your first time in church, and you said, I'm not worship. I wasn't singing. You're a worshiper because we all place ultimate value in something, and that affects how we live and what decisions we make and how we invest our time and how we invest our, our money and how we think, how we prioritize. Um, I'll let you into my a little world, for many years, I placed my highest value on my career, okay? Um, it, that, that affected, you know, how I spent my time and what was going through my head constantly and so on. Um, I was ascribed, to borrow the language of the Psalms, I was ascribing glory to my career. Now, did I roll out of bed and drop to my knees and sing praises to my job? No. Um, but I was making sacrifices for it. I, I sacrificed 
not just time, but I sacrifice my relationships. I sacrifice my personal health. I sacrifice my spiritual health on the altar of my career. Um, I, it actually became my very identity. I found that when my, when my job was going really well, I was doing really well. When, when, when my job was soaring, I was soaring. I was on top of the world. When my job fell apart, I fell apart because I was united with my job. It, was, it had ultimate worth. Um, it's been too long since we've talked about the Lord of the Rings here. Um, so we're going to remedy that this morning. Okay? Um, if, 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 you have, if you're familiar at all with the, the, the stories, you know, the books, the movies, the Lord of the Rings, you'll remember that it's, it's about the, the one ring, right? It's the ring of power. Early in the movies, uh, you, you, know, you see this, this evil lord, Sauron is his name, and he, he crafts this one ring. And what, what we're told is that he, he, he basically kind of pours himself into this ring. M- much of his identity and his power are wrapped up into this ring. And so, you know, eventually the ring is lost, and it's found by Bilbo the Hobbit, and it's passed on to his nephew Frodo. And then the whole saga of Lord of the Rings is basically Frodo traveling to Mount Doom where he is to destroy this ring, okay? Spoiler alert, he does it, all right? It works. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the last movie... He throws the ring into the fire in Mount Doom. And when he does, when the ring is destroyed, Sauron, this evil lord, explodes. Okay, so in, in back in the 50s, when, when Tolkien was writing these books, um, they were wildly popular. When he was writing this, he was releasing these. And he had all kinds of fan mail. People were constantly writing him and asking him questions. I mean, Tolkien had just created this whole world in his mind, and was, it was just a, a portion that was coming out in this, these books. And so people would write to him asking questions for more, basically more. What's, what's behind this? I'm going to explain this. Well, there was a, la- a lady who, named Rona Bear who wrote to Tolkien and said, basically, I don't get it. So you're telling me the ring of power, Frodo throws it into the fire, it's destroyed, and then miles away, Sauron, who's off doing this other thing, Sauron explodes. Explain that to me. Okay, so Tolkien, who was great at writing back his fans, he, he, he wrote her an explanation. First he said, look, lady, it's a story. Like, it's fiction, all right? <laughs> Come me some slack. That's actually what he said. L- listen, it's, it's a story. It's a kid's story. Um, but second, this is basically what he's, he responded to her after that. This is what he said. He said, the ring of Sauron is a myth about the placing of one's life or power into something external, which is thus exposed to capture or destruction with disastrous results to oneself. I'm going to read it again. Okay? um, I'll read it again. The ring ring of Sauron is a myth about the placing of one's life or power into something external. Okay? Uh, And which is now exposed, right? It's vulnerable to to being captured or destroyed. Therefore, you're you're vulnerable for disastrous results to yourself. Does that make sense? Put it in our context. Um, it, it's great to love somebody, right, and to receive joy from that relationship. Okay? We, we were meant to do that. But what happens if, the, for whatever reason, that relationship is ended? That person leaves you or that person breaks up with you. That relationship is destroyed. If that relationship is droid, destroyed and you just utterly fall apart, your whole life falls apart, you, you just want to end it all, it's done. What's happened? You've, you've made that person or that relationship the, the very center of your life. You've poured all of your life and your power into that relationship. Uh, and so when the relationship is destroyed, you're destroyed. That's what he's trying to picture. 
You've turned that person or that relationship into your ring of power. It's your, your precious. If anything matters to you more than God, you're, 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 you're putting your, your life, you're putting your heart into something external. You're give, you've given that person or that career or those things, these, these things that are vulnerable, that are vulnerable, ultimate significance. And in the end, when these things are stripped away or when they fall apart or when they're destroyed, you will be destroyed along with them. These things are not worthy of our worship. My career was not worthy of my worship. So here's the question that we ask today. Um, what or whom are you loving with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because we all, we, we all have something. We all, there's, we all have an answer to that. What are we worshiping? To, to what or to whom are you ascribing glory? The, the word glory in the Old Testament is kabod. Uh, it, it literally means weight. Weight. W-E-I-G-H-T. It means weight. Um, the glo- so when we say the glory of God, we're basically saying the weightiness of God. Um, we don't u- typically use that kind of terminology. Let me use another word that's kind of synonymous that I think will help. Um, a, a, a word in our English language that has kind of a similar scope, similar range as the word weight, is the word matter. M-A-T-T-E-R. Um, on the one hand, matter means you know, something solid, something of substance, right? Something, something real, something tangible. But on the other hand, it also means importance, right? It, it matters, okay? Um, this is what kabod means. Um, so when we say that we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, when we worship him, when we give God the glory that is due his name, what we are saying is that he matters more than anything else, you see? That's what it means to glorify God. It's to, to show him, to ascribe to him, to, to say that you matter more than anything else. When we are liberated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, when, when, we, when we are set free by what Jesus has done on the cross and in his resurrection, we are now set free to live for that which we were created. What were we created for? To glorify God. To move from serving ourselves to serving God, first and foremost. We move from loving ourselves, first and foremost, to loving God, first and foremost. Remember last week we, we talked about the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It, it says, sums it up so well, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We could go so far as to say that the chief end of everything is to glorify God. Couldn't we? This is the very reason why God has put the universe into existence, is to glorify himself. Um, and, and in fact, we're, we're, I'm going to spend uh, some time here on, on, that, on that very idea. Because I, I think this, in our, in our typical American Christianity, I do think this is a, a little bit of a foreign idea. Um, or at least it's on the periphery. It's not in the center of our mind. Um, this may seem obvious to, to many, many of you here today. But, but we, we need to cover this because this is foundational. If this series is revealing the DNA of our church, uh, we need to spend some time. If I were to ask you today... According to the scriptures, what is God after, first and foremost? What would, don't answer. What would, what would you say? What is God after? What is his primary goal? What is his primary pursuit? What would you say? If you were to ask many Christians today, for whatever reason, I, I think that some of them might say, well, me. He's after, he's after my heart. He's after my salvation. He's after my well, or, uh, well-being, not wealth, not my well-being, okay? Um, 
God is after me. God is primarily for me. But friends, do you see? That makes it all about us. That makes us the center of the universe. We are not the center of the universe. Um, can I tell you what I, not I think, what I, what I know the answer to be according to scriptures? God is first and foremost after the glory of God. God is first and foremost after God. God is for God. I am not the main character. I, we, we spent how many months in our history series, right when we, uh, you know, just a few years ago. Remember we called it history because it's his story. I'm not the main character. I'm not the hero of the story. I'm not the point. God is the main character. God is the hero. God is the point. We've got to move from making everything orbit around us as the center of the universe and find our proper place orbiting around God as the center of the universe. Um, This church is all about and must be about the glory and the renown of God first and foremost. Um, it's not about a pastor. It's not about a building. It's not about um, a program. It's not about uh, the name Twin Oaks Church. It's not about a microphone or the guitars or, you know, these lights or the, these curtains. It's not about the screen or the projectors. You guys do realize that all the stuff that you see up here is, is, is the stuff of future junkyard, uh, junkyards and garage sales. Everything, everything you see up here will be on a garage sale or in a junkyard within a matter of time. In a hundred years, everything up here will be in a dump. In fact, in a hundred years, Twin Oaks Church, as a 501c3 nonprofit organization, not only will probably not be around, I can almost guarantee you that no one will even know we ever existed. And do you know why that's okay? Because we're not the point. We're not the point. God is the point. The glory of God. We don't glorify these things. We don't ascribe glory to these things because they don't have that same weight or matter. Remember our, remember our definitions of glory? What truly matters? These things don't have glory in and of themselves. What truly matters? God, the glory of God. We love and worship God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're about God. Now, does God love us? Absolutely. We just sang about it over and over. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. Um, does he love us? Absolutely. Read John 3. Is he for us? Absolutely. Read, read Romans 8. Is he committed to making us great? Absolutely. Read Philippians. Okay? But underlying all of those passages of Scripture, and basically every passage of Scripture in the Bible, what you are going to find is that God, first and foremost, has a passion and a commitment to the glory of his name. All of these things are for his name's sake. Uh, Ephesians 1 is a great example of that. Paul goes on to the church in Ephesus, talks about all the great blessings of God that he predestined us, he saves us, he justifies us, he sanctifies us, all of these great blessings that we can hold on to and that we know are true. But then he says that he does them to the praise of his glorious grace. God is, is, is to be glorified. He is to be loved. He is to be worshipped. From beginning to end, the scriptures are clear that the foremost desire of God's heart is for the glory of his name. I'll just give you a couple more examples. We'll go to a familiar one, Psalm 23. Um, if, you, if you have any, uh, any background in church whatsoever, you'll, you'll recognize this one. You probably have it on a coffee cup, in fact. The Lord is my shepherd. 
Off to a good start, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and leads me into paths of righteousness. I mean, so far, that all sounds great. That sounds, what are we talking about? It's all about, it's, it, that sounds all about me, right? He Look at all of these tremendous things that he does for me. The, I mean, the Lord is our shepherd. Uh, you know, think about how a shepherd cares for his sheep. If he's the shepherd, that makes us the sheep. Um, if we're the sheep, then, then the shepherd, I mean, his whole life seems to revolve around us. He, he leads us to food. He leads us to water. He helps me to rest. He cares for us when we're sick. He takes the thorns out of our hooves. He protects us from the wolves. Uh, you, know, he, but, you know, night and day, the shepherds were to take care of the sheep. You know, it's almost like he lives to serve me. So we love that verse. But, but I know you already read the end, right? You already read the end. This is the part we always forget to mention, or we kind of just say it real quick. Uh, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. So it's not just God's motivation that we would be made great, but that we would be made great to the praise of his glorious grace. For his name's sake. God is set on making his name and his renown and his fame and his glory cover the earth. Habakkuk tells us... Um, that one day, in Habakkuk 2.14, Habakkuk tells us that one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a great analogy. That, that, the, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will, will, will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I'm not sure if you've been to the sea anytime recently, but there is water everywhere. Okay? It's everywhere. All right? That's the picture we're given. The glory of the Lord is, is something that is going to fill every nook and cranny of creation. That's what history is leading us to. If we can agree that God's primary goal is to make his glory known, then we must agree that our primary goal as a church and as a people and as an individual must be to make God's glory known. Would you agree with that? Can I tell you one other reason uh, why I think this is important? Um, because it's fantastic news. This is, this is great news. I'm not the center of the universe. It, you are not the center of the universe, and that is great news, and here's why. Because I could say almost all of the conflict that you have in your life is predicated on the idea that you're the center of the universe, that the world is all about you. The reason that I get frustrated in traffic is because the world is all about me, right? I mean, why are there so many fools on the road? Get out of the way. I've got to get to work, right? Or I've got to get here or there. The reason I have conflicts in my marriage is because the world is all about me and Jessica better act accordingly, right? I got certain expectations that better be met. Uh, the kids better be fed, you know, smile on their faces, you know, she better have the house clean, you know, wearing the cute little apron, high heels, all that, right? Expectations. Okay? Why? Because the world is all about me. I deserve it. Why do I have conflict at work? I don't have conflict at work, Joan Roxy. Um, it's an illustration, all right? <laughs> because I'm the center of the universe. Right? Why, why would this person say that to me? Why would this person do that to me? How dare they not give me that 
you know, promotion or give me that raise? How, how dare they not give me the honor that is due? I mean, come on, ascribe to Philip the glory that is due his name. Right? No. The more that the world is about me, in my mind, the more angry and tired and bitter I will become and the more conflict that I'll experience. But when my marriage is about Jesus, when my marriage is centered on God and not about me, if it's not about the glory of my name, it's about the glory of Jesus Christ, then my marriage can be filled with patience and grace and kindness and faithfulness If my marriage is centered on Jesus and not me, now I'm free to love my wife for the glory of his name and not the glory of my name. If if my money is about him, then I use it to the glory of his name and not my name. If the church that I pastor is about him and not my own vanity, then, then I get to shepherd and serve for the glory of his name and stop being so concerned about whether or not my name is glorified. I'm not the point. Everything doesn't revolve around me. I'm not the point. You're not the point. God is the point. This is so freeing. I think it was Paul who said, from him, through him, and to him are all things. All things. See how all-encompassing that is? Matt Chandler, he, he wrote a book called The Creature of the Word. He wrote this. He said, the root of Christian worship The root of Christian worship, then, is acknowledging, submitting to, and enjoying the supremacy of God's glory in all things. This means that that God gives us the gift of sex, but he did not give us that gift so that our joy might be complete in the act itself. He gave it to us so that we might be overwhelmed by the goodness of God to give us such a great gift. Sexuality is not an end in itself, nor is it a means to our glory. It is given to us so that we might worship God. Similarly, God gave us food and wine, not so that we can guzzle them down or gorge ourselves or or so that we wouldn't enjoy them, but rather that when we take a bite of good food or a sip of great wine, we enjoy Him by way of enjoying them. We worship God when while we partake of his good gifts, something occurs in the deepest parts of our souls that forbids the glory terminating on the gift itself. Apart from understanding God and worshiping him in this way, everything becomes superficial. Everything from dinner to sex to marriage to kids to work to arts to literature. It's all shallow. It's all trivial. But when you understand the driving force behind everything, all of a sudden, there's an eternal amount of joy at our disposal because everything we do is now enlightened and enlivened by the endless glory of the eternal God. Say amen to that. At Twin Oaks Church, we are committed to loving God, to worshiping God, to, to ascribing to God the glory that is due His name. Individually and corporately in all that we say and we do, to God be the glory. So let's get practical, all right, as we, as we, as we finish this up, um, which means I'm about halfway done. Um, just kidding. Uh, let's get practical. How, how do we do that? Well, maybe, you're, maybe you're, uh, you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, okay, this sounds great. In, in principle, it's nice to talk about. I, I love for God to be at the center of my marriage and my job and my your church and my hobbies and so on. But you can't just snap your fingers like that and make that happen, can you? Um, what do we do? 
thought about that a lot this week. Here's how I think we do it. Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you want to see God in all of his glory and and his worthship, that he is worthy, and you want to love him for who he is, you want to see his goodness and his greatness and his glory, here's what you do. According to the psalmist, taste and see. All right? So what does that mean? Well, let's think about that for a second. What, what, is it, what does it mean to taste and see? Why did the psalmist use the word taste? Why did he, out of all the senses that he could have chosen, why did he choose taste? I think he did it. I think he did it because it is the most intimate of the senses. Um, he didn't say, look and see that the Lord is good. Right? Because, you know, you can look at something from a great distance. Um, can I use a really terrible illustration there? I just, okay. Um, if God is out there on the horizon, you're all distant, not only is he manageable, not only is he safe, right? You could, with the squint your little eyes, you can actually go like that and you can kind of smash him, right? You can squash him with your little, with two little fingers. If God is distant, if he's out there on the horizon, not only is he manageable, you wonder why you're not, okay, I told you. I'm going to cut that out of the podcast. Um, stick with the notes. All right. Look and see is, is a great distance. He didn't say hear and see that the Lord is good. Right? Hearing, you, you gotta be, he's got to be closer for you to hear him. You can see farther than you can hear, right? Um, he didn't say smell. and see, He didn't say smell the fragrance or whatever. Okay? You've got to be a little bit closer for that. He didn't even say touch, feel, and see that the Lord is good. He said taste and see. I mean, this, it's the most intimate of the senses. You have to not, ju- not just touch it. You have to take it in. You have to receive it. You have to absorb it. I think the psalmist is basically saying you want to receive the goodness of the Lord, then taste. Come close to him. Receive him. I think he's calling us into an intimate experience with God. So how do we do that? How do we have that intimate experience? How do we draw near like that with that kind of intimacy? How do we taste and see? I try to come up with all kinds of, you know, clever or complex, um, you know, uh, suggestions, but it's not necessary. If I'm feeling distant from Jessica and I want to develop the intimacy with my, with my wife, what do I do? I spend time with her, right? I take her out on a date. We, we, we talk together. We, we, I listen to her. I get to know her. So how do we draw near to the Lord? We spend time with him. We, we draw near to him. We, we, we talk with him. We, we listen to him as he speaks to us through our prayers and through his word and through the body of Christ. This is why we're constantly encouraging one another to, to daily spend time in the scriptures, uh, to, to daily come to God in prayer. This is why we value, again, we're coming full circle. This is why we value our worship gatherings and our, and our community groups because these are opportunities for our eyes to be opened afresh to the glory and the majesty and the worship of our God. So let me, let me just finish by saying this. Um, this is, I don't want this to be a little tangent. I, I think this is a good clarifier, though. If, if this is what we've said thus far, that God is glorious. He is worthy of our love. He is worthy of our worship. And, and, and if we want to be inspired to, to give him that love, to give him that worship, we need to see him in all of his glory. Like, like Moses says, show me your glory. He came to the Lord. I think we need to, we need to clarify one thing here. As we come to God, um, how we come to him is just as important as if we come to him. You follow me? How we come to God is just as important as if we come to God. 
Because we, we, we do not and we cannot come to God as a means to an end. We must come to God as the beginning and the end. We do not come to God as means to an end. We come to him as the beginning and the end. We can't just say, okay, Philip, I'm hearing you. Love God. You know, experience him. And then I'll, I'll, I'll do. So I'll start reading my Bible. And I'll start praying. And I'll even start coming to church on a regular basis. And I'll, I'll do all these things. But, hey, I bet I'm in this for some results. I better see, you know, I better feel better. You know, I better have some more peace in my heart. I better get some victory over the sin. You know, I, I better maybe get some more dollars in my bank account, whatever it is. I better start seeing some fruit. I want to see some results. Um, if this is our attitude, we are putting ourselves back, right back into the center of the universe. You see? That God exists now for me. Rather, no, no, we exist for God. Remember, gone are the days when we just see God as a tool to be used for our benefit. We draw near to God not to get something from him, but just to get him. We draw near to God because he is worthy, because he is glorious, because he is beautiful. He is majestic. He is the beginning and the end. I told you guys the word in the Old Testament for glory is, is kabod. Uh, it, you know, it's, the, it's weight, it's matter. The word in the New Testament for glory, the Greek word, is doxa. That, that literally means praise and wonder. It means brilliance or beauty. Okay, I, I, I love this. The psalmist said this. David said this. He said, one thing have I asked. One thing have I asked. And that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You hear what he's saying? Basically, if I could just have one, if I could ask just one thing, God, if I could just have one wish in all of the world, this is what it would be, just to stand in your presence and, and gaze at your beauty. Just gaze at your glory. Do you want to know how to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Come to him like that. That's how we come to him. Draw near to him and gaze at his beauty. Just gaze at his glory. Is that how you're drawing near to God today? Are you, are you drawing near to him as a means to an end? Or are you drawing near to him as the beginning and the end? Are you drawing near just gazing at his beauty? Or are you coming in there with your hands out saying, give me this, give me that, give me this? And I can, I'll, I'll close with this. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you answer that question. Okay? I'll, I'll offer you a little diagnostic here as we close. Say that you have two relationships. Uh, you've got, you know, one, one is a business associate. Okay? You don't really care for the guy, right, all that much. And frankly, the guy doesn't really care for you all that much. Um, but you're making a lot of money together. Therefore, you continue to work together, okay? Now, this, this second relationship is with someone you love very much, someone, someone you're in love with, and somebody who is in love with you. Now, when you spend time with this business associate, chances are there's probably not going to be a whole lot of chit-chat. There's probably not going to be a whole lot about, you know, what's going on in life and how the family's doing and, you know, your problems or whatever. You're basically going to come to this person, your business associate, and you're going to say, okay, um, what are the goals of the meeting? You know, what, what are the outcomes that we want to see from our time together? Um, what do we plan to get out of this meeting? In fact, you don't even want to have a meeting with the guy unless um, you know that there's, you know, you're going to get something done. There's going to be some results. Basically, the relationship is nothing. It's a means to an end. Okay? Um, contrast that. Contrast that with the person uh, that you are in love with. With your lover, you would never say, you would never say, so what are the expected outcomes of the next two hours that we're about to spend together? What, what are, what are going to be our action items? What are going to be our action steps? What do we hope to accomplish today? If Jess and I were to go out on a date tonight and I were to look at her across the table and say, okay, why did you want to see me? Right? 
what, what were we hoping to accomplish tonight? That would not go well for me, right? The relationship is an end in and of itself. The point of Jessica and I spending time together isn't, isn't, you know, isn't just to go somewhere, to go to do something or to get something accomplished. It's just to be together. The relationship is filled with love. Therefore, it's an end in and of itself. Which of these two relationships would best describe your current relationship with the Lord? That's the question. Are you drawing near? Are you loving? Are you worshiping God as a means to an end or as the beginning and the end? Somebody who is beautiful, whom you love with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. We're going to sing some songs. Um, and here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to just offer you two quick uh, little challenges this week. First challenge I'd like to do, as we sing over the next few minutes, what I'd like you to do, if you're willing, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to do the same thing. We're, I'm going to... Let's, let's together, let's ask God to show us any areas of our life where perhaps he is not being glorified, where he is not what matters the most. Um, it might be in a relationship. It might be the way that you're spending your money. It might be the way that you're um, uh, spending your time. Would you ask yourself, am I loving God with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, and all of my strength? And if the answer to that question is no, I'm not. There are things that, that in my life that are not glorifying to God. May I encourage you, acknowledge them, repent, confess your sin to God, ask for his forgiveness, and I'll tell you, forgiveness is available to every person in this room this morning. And I can say that with confidence because that's what Jesus Christ came to this earth to accomplish. Every one of us have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God and there's payment necessary for our sin. Okay? But Jesus Christ went to the cross and he took that penalty upon himself. He absolved God's wrath for our sin that we might be forgiven, that we might have a new life with God. So if, if there are areas in your life where you are not glorifying God, confess your sin to him. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask for the power to begin living for him and with him from this day forward. That's my challenge to you today. The second challenge I want to offer you, or I want to ask you uh, to, to do this week, is very basic, very simple. Would you be intentional about drawing near to the Lord this week? Can, can we draw near to God this week? Would we taste and see? Commit to spending a few minutes each day this week looking intently into the Word of God. That's the commitment. Commit this week to spend a few minutes each day looking intently into the Word of God talk with him. Listen to him. Don't come to him as a means to an end. Just come, come and spend the time in the scriptures just to get him. Just to have him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Let's pray.